This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media, the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 47 of Good Beer Matters. Look at where I've come. I've, I've been lucky enough to have opportunities and meet a bunch of wonderful people because of beer. Um, helping women build that confidence and that strength and that power to, to know that they don't, they don't need to wait for anybody. Breweries are coming to us and they're, they're seeking our members because they know that we're providing them all the educational tools. March is Women's History Month and the 8th is International Women's Day. I can't think of a better way to honor and support the women in my life than by having a beer. The Pink Boots Society began to assist, inspire, and encourage women in the beer industry through education and collaboration in 2007. Since then, they have grown into an international nonprofit organized to help women in all capacities of the beer industry. Every March, the Pink Boots Society collaborates with beer organizations to brew delicious beer that will raise awareness and funds for scholarships and education for its members. So, wherever you are, grab a pint of Pink Boots beer and join us as we kick off Season 3 of Good Beer Matters, because this episode is dedicated to female brewers around the world. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 47 of Good Beer Matters with brewer and president of the Pink Boot Society, Laura Ulrich. the Pink Boot Society for quite some time now, actually. So I'm, I'm glad we're, we're going to be able to connect now. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Um, will you, just to kind of begin the story, like, like they always say, let's start at the beginning. Will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your history with beer and your background? Okay. Uh, my name is Laura Ulrich, and I am the current president of Pink Boot Society, but I'm also uh, the small batch brewer for Stone Brewing Company. I guess we're not company anymore, so it's Stone Brewing. I, I mess that up all the time. Anyhow. Um, well, it is I, a company, um, so it's, that, that makes sense. <laughs> well, so because, because I'm not even going to go there. Um, <laughs> um, my background, um, so I actually have a degree in English. And I didn't actually like beer growing up. You know, most people are like, oh, I was super passionate about beer. And I was a home brewer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my older brother was actually into home brewing. He was the one that kind of started to get me into different styles of beer, different flavors of beer. Um, but 
uh, when I graduated college, I up and moved with uh, my brother and then also a really good friend of mine. And we went to Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, this is back in 2000. I'm trying to think of when I graduated college. 2004? No. Yes, 2004. Um, nope. Sorry. That's not right. Well, let, let's just say you're early. I think of whenever I graduated. Let's say, let's say early, mid 2000s. Then that way, we'll, no one will be able to guess your age. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm old, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I moved to, after graduation, I moved to Fort Collins, Colorado. So it's still, you know, still beer mecca, one of the beer meccas. Oh, yeah. That's a great place um, for beer. Yeah, absolutely. And I ended up working for a bar, and that's kind of how I learned about craft beer. Um, probably the majority of where I learned about craft beer, we're learning from, you know, the flavors of New Belgium and the flavors of Odell Brewing. Hmm. And um, was kind of over being um, a bartender and had did a couple other odd jobs, but there was an opening on the volume line for Odell Brewing, and I applied for it. I also applied for New Belgium, but they never called me. Or I never got an interview. But at Odell Brewing Company, I did. And I went in and uh, we did, it was like half of it was a sitting down interview and the other half of it was, you know, working on the packaging line, which at the time was, you know, manually packaging their bottles into their six pack, uh, six pack holders into the cases. So it was rather labor intensive and mm-hmm. I'm also kind of short and the line's kind of tall. So, you know, I'm having to reach out there, but I did it. And, you know, uh, the manager at the time was like, uh, hey, you know, this is kind of hard work. This is like repetition. This is what it is. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm interested in it. This is sounds, this seems really cool. It's something totally different. I'm into it. Like how cool would it be to work at a brewery? Uh, fast forward. So I worked for them for about a year and a half. I love that company. Um, they are near and dear to my heart, but I was over the small town of Fort Collins, Colorado. So I was ready to up and leave. I was 27 at the time. And so I was like, I'm just going to go and see where Cal- why not California? Just check it out. Um, so I applied to all the breweries that were out here. I think at the time there was maybe like six, maybe probably more than that, but I applied to six of them and no one called me back. And I was a little bummed because I was like, I have experience. Like, why isn't anybody calling me back and mm-hmm. followed back up with stone and they invited me to come out for an interview. And I had three interviews uh, and I'm giving you the super fast detail of how I got into beer. Um, and they, I came out here and I had my interviews and they asked me the job. And so 30 days later, I up and moved my cat in my life to Southern California and I've been with Stone ever since. I'm approaching my 16th anniversary and um, the time has flown by. I've learned how to brew here. I've learned, I've pretty much grown up here. I've learned uh, almost everything. I, I'd like to say almost everything I know about beer because of Stone um, and through Stone and all the wonderful experiences I've had because of Pink Boots and other opportunities in these last 16 years. It's been pretty incredible. So. That's the quick and dirty version of, of my beer story. You know, one of the things that I got asked when I got to Southern California um, by a bunch of the guys that worked on the packaging line was, am I a home brewer? And I said, well, no, why would I be a home brewer? I, you know, I, I work at a brewery. Like, why would I do that at home? Like, what's the point of making a mess at home if you can do it here? So it's kind of the, the thing I've always stuck to is, you know, if you can make a mess at work, might as well do it there. It's easier to clean up than it is at your house. So. Yeah. So, was that your first job at Stone? Was on the bottling line? My first job at oh yes, correct. So, my first my first job here was on the on the line, and then I worked my way um, to run the the keg their keg machine, and then as well as their filter 
And then once we moved to the new location here in Escondido, um, off of Citricado, that's how I learned on the, uh, that's how I learned how to brew was on the big system. And, and, and so, um, how did you decide that, okay, I do want to get into brewing, even though you have not, or you weren't a home brewer per se? Again, I think it was, I don't even, I think it just kind of happened. Um, so, you know, getting into the job at Odell, it was just something different and new, and it just seemed so cool to work at a brewery and so different and unique. And so that's kind of how I got into that. And then once I got here, um, I really, you know, the line was, I knew the line was not my, was where I wanted to be. I wanted, or on the bottom line, I knew I wanted more. And I kept kind of eyeballing the filter that Stone was using at the time, and I and. They kept trying to ask me, or they kept asking me if I wanted to be, if I wanted to move to brew house. And I was like, I don't know. I want to learn the cellar. And I don't know. I just kind of started pushing it off. It was like never a focus. Like, yes, I need to be a brewer. Like, oh my God. Like, my, like brewing was my, wasn't my goal at the time. And I was more, you know, fascinated with the filter and like the process that happened in the cellar. And so I was like, I want to learn that first. And so when I had the opportunity, I, I took it. And then I was doing that for a little bit, and they asked me again. They're like, okay, well, you know, do you want to be, we're going to have a spot in the brew house. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess I, I felt like I had, um, you know, wasn't pushing myself, but I wasn't learning, you know, anything new because I was feeling confident in what I was doing. So I was like, okay, sure, fine. I'll, I'll learn how to be a brewer. And, you know, I, I learned the system. And then from there, it, I became the first brewery trainer when they had that opening. And then, um, shortly after that, I, they had an opening for the small batch brewer and that's what I've been doing ever since. So I've kind of fallen into a role that like, I like the hands-on aspect. I like things that happen in the cellar. Um, you know, recipe formulation is really cool, but I'm not, I'm not that I I'm creative, but I'm not like exotically creative. So I feel like maybe I have some disadvantages, but I hit my numbers. I'm really particular. I like consistency. I like things done the right way. Um, and so that's kind of what my, how I've kind of evolved and gotten into or evolved in my whole career has been is consistency and quality and just making sure that things are hitting the exact specs that they need to. Like I'm, I'm really big on that. So, um, I'm not a fly by the seat of your pants kind of, uh, brewer. Um, I, and I like, I like the control. I like things to be done a certain way and I like other people to do them a certain way. So I'm, I'm just, that, that's kind of, that's how I've evolved and that's kind of who I've become. So well, I think I just kind of fell into it. I don't think I ever really, I don't think I learned that I had a passion for it or I don't think I learned that I was super interested in it until I got here to Stone. Uh, and it was even something that Doug O'Dell had said to me whenever he had seen me probably maybe a year later when CBC was here in San Diego a couple of years later in San Diego, he's like, I just didn't think you were into beer. And I was like, I don't, I, you're right. I don't think I was either. I, at the time in my life in Fort Collins, it was just very different than what it was here in San Diego. So and when you move, when you move to another state and you don't know anybody and, you know, the only people that you know are work at a brewery, you kind of quickly become absorbed and immersed into what's happening at the brewery. So I think that's kind of how it all happened for me. Yeah, it, it's almost like a brewery creates its own little subculture, sub-subculture. And yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, Stone's grown quite a bit. And that was one of the things that I, I had a hard time with, you know, growing growing up with Stone. Uh, seeing a bunch of friends kind of move on. And then 
as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I was I was bummed that they were leaving, but you know, ultimately they were they were doing what they needed to do for themselves, and that was, you know, look at them now, like it's almost like a, a, a um, some joy and it's pride to like, hey, I worked with you, and you know, we know how we used to work, and we know how how they've grown up, and you know, we know how we know how they work, so it's kind of one of those feelings that you get you're like oh you're like a proud moment of like oh yeah yeah they're badass because i worked with them and i know that they learned a lot of the stuff that i learned and they learned a lot of it from here from stone so well, those crazy things. And, and, uh, and frankly, one, um, a, a guest on the first season of the show, uh, Robert Masterson, uh, from resident brewing in, in uh, downtown, I think he's on, uh, uh, fourth street in downtown. Um, uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, co-owns that brewery and, and I, and I got a chance to talk with him and, and, uh, he got his start at stone in a, in a different sort of way. He was a home brewer who won a, uh, homebrew competition that you guys put together with his, uh, coconut IPA. Uh, and that just, and, and he, you know, had won a bunch of other awards as well, but it was like the stone award that really, um, kind of gave him the confidence of like, all right, this is, it's time to take this up a few notches and go pro. And, and, uh, and now when I, whenever I see uh resident brewing on, uh, on social media and stuff, they're just doing some incredible, incredible stuff. Right. Yeah. He won the, uh, one of the AHA rallies that we did, the American Homebrewers Association that we pair them up here. They pair up with, um, another brewer of their choice, whoever they choose and they get to brew on the big system. It's, it's also, really cool for like homebrewers to come in here and you know to see the scale up to see the size of like you know your system that you're normally used to versus like we're talking 100 and you know 120 hectoliters of beer it's like it's it's, it's wild i can only imagine you know a homebrewer who's consistently making amazing beers then comes to sell it's like oh shit this is like what the big boys do yeah, or the, big women this just got real yeah this just, it totally got real well um so I kind of want to circle back. I think you mentioned that you are the small batch brewer at Stone. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I'm one of the small batch brewers here in the Escondido location. So as Stone has grown, we have also grown with uh, other brew houses. So we have a small system down at Liberty Station. That's Chris Ketchum and his um, he David Wilson is his assistant brewer. And then my manager uh, operates the Napa location that we have, and he's got a brewer up there. But I work down here with a gentleman that has been with Stone for going on 18 years, and him and I uh, tag team the system, and we do anything from research and development to innovation, uh, ultimately whatever's coming down the pipe from management, whether it's new recipes, whether it's a recipe change, whether we're trying to fine-tune something, or if they're going to do a collaboration and they want to see what the scale-up will be. Uh, that's myself and another gentleman, and we work on that. Down here we have a seven-barrel mark system, so it's enough to feed the bistro, our tap rooms, um, or just our quality team, just for taste approval, or get blended back into you know the main beers. But if you're doing R and D, you're you're kind of uh, I, I like to refer to you all as the brewery special forces. So you get to brew like the fun different special beers, and and every batch is going to be a little bit different. Is that a fair description of what you're doing? So either everything's going to be very different, or we're going to do the same IPA over and over with a hop change. And, so, and, uh, until you know it. Cool, <laughs> yeah, one of the cool things is Stone's, you know, part of the whole hop. Um, they, have a, they have a great connection with the hop suppliers, and they're part of the hop quality group that's put on. 
And so we'll get the number hops that no one will see. We'll trial it. We'll keg it up. We'll put it in crawlers or whatever. And we'll send notes off to the, the hop growers and we'll let them know feedback on a hop that they have coming up in the pipeline. So sometimes we see, you know, some of the first hops that haven't even been, you know, put into main production and they won't be put into main production or will be the ones that'll help to decide if they need to go into main production. So sometimes we're really innovative and sometimes we're doing some of the same IPA over and over and over again, but it's, you know, all of it's, all of it's really relative and really important so that management knows that we're hitting consistency or that we're pushing the envelope. And sometimes we're making beers that we will do a handful of times and they won't even come, they won't even be released to the public for years. So there's a couple of beers that are out there on the market now that I can't tell you how long or how many times we brewed on a small system until they finally were happy with the outcome and then decided to make a larger batch of it. So we kind of have that. They're like the, the test kitchen of, of the system or the test kitchen of the brewery. Well, and frankly, I can see how how some people might look at that and go, oh, that's that's kind of monotonous brewing of just trying to do that. But for me, uh, just being fascinated by sensory and being able to compare uh, uh, IPA 1 and IPA 2.2 and, and, and just saying, okay, I'm getting a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. And to me, that's just fascinating. It is. And then we also do, um, like right now we're in the midst of what we call the Spotlight Series where the brewers team up with, um, anybody in production can team up and they get to create a recipe and they brew on the system and then management will taste the beers in a couple of months or, or maybe in like a month and a half and then they'll decide who the winner is and there's a first, second, and third place and if they really like it, they'll make a large batch of it and they'll stay local or if they really, you know, if it's, if it's decent but needs some tweaking, then they'll let it go down to Liberty Station and they'll brew a larger version of it. So it's kind of cool that we're also trying to involve the production brewers and production um, members to kind of get involved and they get to put on their creative hats and, and, and get to not feel so monotonous or, you know, production oriented for a day or a couple of days when we ask them to make their beer and kind of focus on it and do all the workings. And, you know, the nice thing is, like I was telling you about my story is I wasn't, I never, I was kind of hesitant to be a brewer in my role as a small batch brewer, I get to do everything. So I get to make the beer, I get to package the beer, or filter the beer, and then I get to package the beer. So I get to kind of see all aspects of it without feeling bored on just one end. Like, oh, I'm just a brewer, and I never think that I'm just a brewer. Um, I know that's... I, I hate to say that because I think calling yourself just a brewer is not... You, you kind of downplay something that's really fun, unique, and creative. Um, but I get to do everything. I get to have a hand in all aspects of what's going on. And that, I think, is what keeps me interested and keeps me active and keeps me in interested because I'm not just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's much less of an assembly line. It's more like you get to build the whole car. Right. I get to I get to have, like, we, essentially we have a small little brewery inside a gigantic plant. Yeah, that's nice. 
Um, let, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I, I want to learn about Pink Boot Society. Of course, um, I'm aware of it. Um, I've I've worked at breweries where they've uh, done some collaboration uh, stuff uh, come March, and um, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't know what it is or aren't aren't sure exactly what it is you do. Tell us about Pink Boots. So Pink Boots Society is a nonprofit organization. And our sole mission is to help women advance their careers through education in the brewing industry. Uh, we are a professional organization, so in order to be a member of the of us, you need to earn um, 25% of your income from beer. And that could be from beer tending, from restaurants, to accounting at a brewery or distribution, um, packaging, brewing, obviously, uh, all, any facet that gives your income 25% makes you qualified to be a member. We have a small um, annual fee that we ask the women to pay, but our whole goal is to help women advance their careers through education, and we do that by offering scholarships nationally. But then there are 96 chapters worldwide, and all of those chapters tend to have meetings or to have meetups where there's an educational component. So. You're sharing information, you're connecting with like-minded women, um, you're learning maybe a new aspect that you never thought about. Say you're front of house in a restaurant and you don't know enough about what they would call back a house production side. So you're learning more of like the quality side or you're learning something new that you can utilize to either bring consumers in to entice consumers to try something new and just to kind of engage beyond, you know, the basic. So. That's, the, that's probably the coolest thing is you get to meet a bunch of women that you didn't think were in the industry or had the same ideas or had the same mindset. And then you find out that there's actually 2,500 plus women across the world. And that's just the bare minimum for Pink Boots. I know there's more than that that haven't even signed up that all are passionate about beer. And, you know, ultimately beer is what is driving us together. And that's, that's the coolest thing. And, and it looks like, if I did my research correctly, it looks like you're obviously across the nation, but you're also in at least 12 different countries? Correct. Uh, we are um, internationally known. We have uh, a large chapter in Australia. We have chapters in the Asia area. We have one in Peru, um, some in Europe. So there are several throughout. Uh, the nice thing about w what we do on a national level is our scholarships, some of them are hands-on like as far as um, locally based or they are online. So they're available for anyone. You don't have to be, you don't have to travel to the States to attend one of our scholarships. And the coolest thing is um, we've grown since we started Pink Boots, which started in 2007 with Terry. Uh, ironically, when she came here to Stone, I had just been promoted as brewer. She was on her road trip. Um, she had quit her job as brewmaster and decided she was going to go visit all her friends. And one of the early stops was meeting me, and I met her on a Saturday, and I had no idea that women did this as a career. So I was floored, and I think I took her entire day up um, asking her questions, just talking to her, just chatting her ear off, you know, just throwing things off her. And I think she saw a chance to be a mentor, and then she realized that I didn't know who she was, and then she's like, well, how many other women are out there that don't know of each other? Um, and this is early on before, you know, social media wasn't quite taking over our world at that time. Um, and so she kind of shifted gears for her her, her uh, beer tour, for her road tour, 
And that was asking every time she'd go to a new brewery, well, do you have anybody in production? And do they know of, of Terry or do they know of other women? And then she kind of started a list. So that's kind of how the group started. And then in 2013. And, and I'm sorry, can, can I interject real quick? And please forgive me. Uh, who is Terry? Terry Farendorf. Okay. Sorry. Uh, and, uh, she currently and, works for Great Western Malter, Malting as one of the uh, malt. Um, her, 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 oh my gosh! I forget her title. I'm such a horrible person. <laughs> she's she, she's one of the malt innovators, so she's coming up with new malts. Oh okay. Okay. You you have met Terry, right? Please tell me you're in Oregon. Uh, I I don't know Terry, but I I, oh. I I don't know if I've met her or not. But um, I, I, you will need to get connected with Terry. Okay. Um, I, I will I will look her up and uh, put some sort of uh, info on the show notes just because I, I need to educate myself as well. Oh yeah, Terry's great. So Terry, Terry when Terry met me in 2007, she was she was had been a brewer or a brewmaster for 20 years. So she was I think she's considered the third female um, brewer, first female the third female brewer in the states. Uh, when it came when it came to brewing, Melly Pullman, who's oh. also based in, in Oregon, is first, and then Carol Stout came second, and then came Terry. So okay. she was one of the very early on um, trendsetters when it came to you know not not caring about your gender in a sense, and just you know going with your passion and whatever you felt like. Um, so when I met Terry, it, you know it was eye opening because. Again, I, I had no idea this was a career, or I didn't even think of it at the time, and she kind of helped me change my path, and she kind of helped me, you know, establish, like, hey, you know, this, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be alone in this, Like, there's other women out there, there have to be other women out there, but it, I never really thought of myself as that until I got to Stone, because working for Odell, there, there are two female owners, um, I was working with another female in production. So I never really thought of myself as being a female until, unfortunately, until I got to Stone, when I think that was as, as Stone got bigger and more and more people brought on, they were all men, all guys. Uh, so it was at that point that I was like, oh, I am unique. I am different because this is not normal. What Normally women are not choosing this job. Like this is not the path that they're choosing. Um, so when I met Terry and she talked about starting Pink Boots, she said, well, I have this idea. And I was like, I love this idea. I think it's great. I think it would be wonderful to connect with other women to share and ask questions and not feel um, at the time, specifically at that time, um, like I'm asking a dumb question or be looked at sideways because I'm even asking that question. And so that was kind of the premise of, of, of starting it. And then when we had our first meeting in 2008 here in San Diego, because the Craft Brewers Conference is here, um, we had our first meeting and we had uh, 30 women show up to be a part of it. And we sat down and Terry pretty much said, well, what do we want to be? Do we want to, do we want to just be brewers? Do we want to be inclusive to, you know, those in the lab and other aspects? And we all agreed that we wanted to include any woman that was in beer. Um, and so she kind of took it from there. And then the next year, the next couple of years, it was like, well, what, you know, what do we want to be? Do we want to be educational based? Do we want to, do we want to be more of just a social group? Like, what is it that we want to be in? Everybody in attendance at the GABF meeting was like, no, we want to be, we want education. We know that education is what will be the limiting factor for women. 
is, you know, not taking brewing courses or not learning all they can about beer, um, that will be what's going to limit them from advancing with their careers. And so in uh, 2013, she applied for the nonprofit status and we were granted that as an educational charity. And we offered our first year, we offered six scholarships. And then this past year, we offered, I want to say 56. So every year we keep adding more and more and more scholarships. Uh, we take anything from marketing to uh, we have we have a wonderful partnership with Cicerone. We have a wonderful partnership with Siebel. So we're we're hitting all aspects. We're you know we're trying to focus on the women that are focusing on marketing. We're also focusing on brewing because we you know as brewers we really want more women to get involved in the brewing side. But we also realize that quality is a huge component for everyone. You don't have to just be a brewer. You don't have to just be in a lab. Anybody. Uh, Anybody can, can take quality classes and that will help them with their career in any way. So we offer, offer a vast range um, of scholarship opportunities for, for women. And it's an application process. So they submit an application and they talk about themselves and how having a scholarship from Pink Blue Society will help and change their career. And then we ask them to tell us how they would pay it forward. So. One of the most amazing things we thought we would um, we would do when we started scholarships was not everybody can connect with each other all the time or not everybody can get these scholarships, but what can you do? You can pay it forward. Always paying it forward will always help somebody else learn something new. So we asked them to take the scholarship and then to do a pay it forward after their scholarship. And we have such wonderful successes. We have... Um, they can either present at our annual meetings or they can write for a publication or they can present in front of their local chapter. And it's just a, it's a win-win because we're asking you to go and invest not only in yourself, but also turn around and invest back into your community. That's fantastic. And, and I do yeah. have to say that I, I am particularly interested in this despite being male, uh, just because I want to build a better beer filled world for uh, my young daughter to enter someday. Um, and of course, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned this in other situations where I've got a mother, I have a wife, I have sisters, I have nieces and, and women's issues are important to me, but I'm not a, I'm not a woman. I've never walked a mile in your shoes. Um, help, please help me and other, and other people out there understand what are some of the issues or the barriers to entry in the brewing that uh, that creates a need for an organization like Pink Boot Society? Well, so I think every, every situation is going to be different. And I think ultimately, you know, we just want to provide safe spaces and we want to show women that being in um, an environment like a brewery is one safe, uh, it's comfortable, and that it can be a lot of fun. Um, a lot of women tend to take on a lot of aspects all at once and I think that's one of the cool things about brewing is that you can multitask and be a part of something and if that's something that you really enjoy like they are into cooking and cleaning and everything that you're normally supposed to do as a typical like you know stereotypical um, woman I mean those are all the wonderful things that you get to do inside a brewery you just get to do it for work and fun get paid to do it so there's, there's, you know obviously again there's situations that are going to be very different um, but ultimately Everything's about bring, being inclusive and bringing people into an environment that they feel comfortable comfortable with. And so, the more women see other women working in a brewery, the more likely they're going to ask questions. They're going to be interested. You know, if they're helping their 
significant other make beer in a homebrew, they're going to start asking questions. They're going to want to know more about what's happening. And so Pink Boots is like the stepping stone for those to get into it. Typically, we're a stepping stone because I think when people hear about us, they they find interest. And they're like, oh, there's other women that are interested. Or there's other women who are doing these roles. Um, it's, it's an early start to, to women to find out that there's a professional aspect, not just, it's not about being a man with a beard instead of, instead of brewery. So I think having an you know, inclusive environment will always entice more women to ask more questions and to want to be involved and want to help and want to just be around it. And again, just like the guys, it's a lot of fun to make beer. Like, that's ultimately all we're doing is making beer, and it's a blast. So everybody should be, have a chance to make it. And I think the more that schools at a younger age start to focus on STEM and math and make those things that women or young girls should focus on or are, are, are capable of doing, and they're probably pretty damn good at it, then I think that will also help to bring the younger brewers and the next generation into the fold of what's happening in the beer world. Well, it's you like, know, it's not just beer world, but like everything, like kombucha and cider and wine. I think, you know, fermentation science is huge. And I think instead of waiting for, um, you know, waiting for later in your life to get involved in learning more about what's happening with fermentation, I think that's one of the reasons Terry was so interested in brewing at such a younger age was because I think she was interested in making the whole fermentation process. I think she was really into making bread and, you know, I think that whole, the cooking process. Where for me, you know, I I grew up, you know, my mother was feeding six kids and she was doing her best and my father was a school teacher. And for me, I'm a middle child that was just trying to like, just get, get me in and get me out. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And look at where I've come. I've, I've been lucky enough to have opportunities and meet a bunch of wonderful people because of beer. So let me ask you this then, uh, because... Um Hey, you described your story of getting into beer where you uh, basically kind of did the, uh, for lack of better words, I'm going to call it the traditional path where I just want to work there. I got the job. Now I'm working. I'm just doing my job. Um, but were there barriers? Were there challenges that you had as a woman that uh, hopefully Pink Boot Society will um, at least... Um, kind of uh, finesse and allow more women, uh, women who would not break through those barriers like you did. Uh, is it easier to go through that, uh, through the society? What do you mean by that? I, well, I guess I'm trying to understand is um, uh, you did not have a group of women to bring you into the fold in the brewing industry. Uh, you, um, well, by, by the, by your story, maybe I'm projecting, but uh, what was your experience compared to women who get into the brewing industry by connecting with the Pink Boot Society? How, how are those different? Uh, the, the difference, I think, ultimately is that they can, there's, now, there's now an easier way to connect with women, right? Whether it's social media, um, whether it's texting. I mean, keep in mind, like, 2007, we weren't texting the way we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just having that avenue of like a quick response where it took a little longer. You had to send an email and you had to wait, wait for a response or it was a phone call. Um, I think ultimately it's just, it's the immediate connection that you can make and have with, with another person. Um, you know, whether it's to bounce ideas off of, whether it's to, 
um, you know, maybe it's even to probe about a new job. Those are the things that I think are taking place. And I think it's because of the connection for Pink Boots. And I think that when women find out about us, it's that immediate um, connection. It's, whether it's whether it's like a sorority feel. I don't know if that's what that if that's kind of. I was never in a sorority, so I don't know. Um, but if it just gives you like that familiar familiar feeling of tribe and of connection and safe space to be around, um, ultimately that's what we're trying to accomplish. We we don't want anybody to feel comfortable with what they're doing. We also want to be able to allow them to feel comfortable to let us know if there's a problem so that we can either offer advice um, or, you know, help connect them to other people that can help them out in other situations. Again, because we are a charity and based off of education, our whole focus is education. And we really truly think that anything can be done as long as you're, anything can change as long as you're constantly educating yourself. And I think that was one of the things with Terry one of the things that she kept telling me pretty early on was like, well, you know, um, if they're not taking you seriously or if you're, you're offering suggestions and they're not listening to you, but they're listening to the person next to you, when they repeat what you're saying, then write down everything or, um, you know, get some science or get some math background, get these things behind you so that you have something to stand on instead of them just assuming that you're, you know, reacting or you're coming off too emotional. So, you know, that's kind of the, the approach that I took it now. I didn't go and do um, a lot of the things that she told me to because at the time things were just moving so fast. And I was just like, I'm just, just kind of holding on to what was going on and just embracing life and, and just enjoying the ride. But I think, you know, my experience, like you were saying, is very unique to other people. I think now breweries look at kind of, you know, what's your background? What do you have to offer? What will you, um, you know, what will you bring to the table? And they're not necessarily looking whether or not it's a female or a male. Um, however, you know, I, I am lucky that I work with a brewery that hires a, a, you know, any woman that comes that applies for stone, they took a, they take a real serious look at you. You know, you don't have to have a whole lot of brewing experience because we'll give you all the training that you probably need, but they, they, they're very consistent about bringing on women when they apply. And that's one of the things I hear often, um, even to this day, that people, breweries would hire more women if they applied. And I don't really know what the limiting factor of that is. I don't know if it's the current economic system, if people are concerned about not making enough money because, you know, people don't get into beer to make a bunch of money. So if they're concerned about sustainability when it comes to family support, um, as far as financially. So I... I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to change to get more women to apply for all the amazing positions that are at Burry. Hmm. I don't know how to change that. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how to do that either. Um, hopefully someone listening to this podcast will reach out and say, I've got a good idea. Um, yeah, I mean, again, because I don't know if it's, again, if it's an economic thing, if it's, a, you know, financially, if it's a problem, because... Well, and, yeah. and, and actually one of the questions I want to ask you, and maybe and, and maybe your answer would address this as well, um, but I, I have spoken to women who feel like, yes, I have access to the brewery, but in order to become part of that culture, I have to somewhat masculinize myself. And I've, talking to, yeah. I've, I've spoken to other women um, who really don't like the conversation at all. They, uh, they don't like the fact that 
gender comes up in the same conversation with any type of industry. And, and I think there's a certain validity to that. I mean, um, I, I think, that, I think that there's a, a, yeah, I think there's, I think there's a boys club. I, I still think there's a boys club. I think, I think it's a matter whether it's a boys club or it's, um, you connect with whoever you connect and then you get to advance because you, of who you connect. I don't know if it's necessarily intentional. I think it's, a I don't know if it's a favoritism thing, but there's definitely a boys club, you know, here, you know, at Stone, I'd love to see more women in higher C, uh, C-suite level, uh, positions. And it, it, it just isn't. And I, I don't know how to change that. I was like, I'm not qualified for that, but I also don't know how to go and find those qualified women that I would want in those spots. Cause I just don't, but that's not, that's not something I'm familiar with, but it's definitely something I see. And it's definitely something that I would like to change. And I know that there are a lot of wonderful, amazing women out there and they're strong and they don't want to be separated off to the side or they don't want to be, you know, we, they don't want to be considered female, but they also don't want to be so hard that they're men. They just want to fit in. They just don't, they don't want there to be, ever be an issue, but there's kind of always that underlying feeling, I think, in my mind there is. There's always, especially now, having the Me Too movement, everybody being aware, you know, whether it's the guys sh- shut up whenever I walk into the room. I don't know if they're talking something they shouldn't be talking or not, but it just it's definitely something that's present. But again, the more and more women you bring in, then hopefully that kind of changes. But then I have to be honest, women also change, um, they change the atmosphere itself. They get, you know, whether or not it's because they're, they're concerned about the space, there's only, they only feel that there's room for one. There's not enough room for several others. I think sometimes women trip themselves up. I know I trip myself up by not taking chances or applying for positions that I'm not fully qualified for, excuse me, while the guys are off to the side applying for these positions and they're half qualified for them, but they're taking that chance over a female. I and mean, that's a statistic that's been around for a while in all aspects. Oh, sure. Cause uh, men are overconfident and women aren't confident enough is kind of like a generalization I've heard over and over and over again. And that is so very true. I can tell you there have been so many positions where it's like, I've been waiting for someone to tell me that I'm good enough or that I'm qualified or capable. And I don't know why I'm waiting for someone to tell me. Um, because it's not ultimately up to them to tell me I'm qualified. It's it's me putting myself there and knowing that I'm qualified. So how do I, you know, how do we, that's one of the things that Pink Boots needs to work on is mentorship and um, helping women build that confidence and that strength and that power to, to know that they don't, they don't need to wait for anybody to tell them that they know what they're doing or that they know that they're qualified or they know that they're capable of doing it. Like that's something massively important, I think for all generations to learn that they don't have to wait for anyone. It's if they want it, they need to go get it. And I think ultimately that's probably the biggest thing I've learned is no one's, no one's swinging the door wide open waiting for me to come in. They're expecting me to just show up and do it. And if you don't do it, then that, that's it. Like, okay, well, you know, and there's a certain and, and there's a certain element of, uh, well, that didn't work, but or I'm not quite sure if I can do this, but let's figure it out. Or, you know, or there's the opposite side of you, you know, you feel like you're confident and you, you go for something and you keep going for something and you're not hearing anything back and you're not hearing anything. And it's whether they're ignoring you because they're, they don't have the answer or they're ignoring you because they just don't feel confident in telling you. It's like, so there's so many different limiting factors. Again, 
would that stop the men from doing it? No, but it, it makes the women hesitate, hesitate and it makes them, you know, they want to fully be confident and they want to know that they know everything back and forth um, before they, they apply because they're like, well, that way you can't say no to me because I know that I'm 100% perfect for whatever this position is. So, yeah. but there's, there, you know, there's definitely some some things that still need to change and I think they're slow to come and I think diversity is a giant topic that everyone has on their minds and I think that's really great and I can't wait for everyone to stop talking about diversity and start putting things into action and you know talking to your employees and finding out what they like and finding out what they don't like and finding out you know where they feel comfortable and where they don't feel comfortable so I think it's one thing to talk about it but it's another thing to put it into action and I think that's hopefully what's going to happen this year, or or there'll be some new buzzword that people will start talking about. Well, and and of course I dream of the day, and and I I, I had the uh, the fortune to talk with uh, Dr. J. Jackson Beckham about this. She's amazing, and she is amazing. But and the whole goal is. So we don't have to talk about this anymore, where it's not an issue. Everything is as it ought to be, as it should, well, as it was intended to be, where there's equality and everything is right in the world. Of course, that's a, a modern day utopia. But I mean, that's the goal that we're all striving for is, and well, and let, let me take, so I grew up in San Diego and, and I remember in the days of, um, well, when I was a kid, I just remember seeing like lifeguards up and down the beach and the vast majority were men. But when you saw a female lifeguard, it was like, oh, my gosh, wow. Um, but of course, then I I moved on and I uh, lifeguarded in Orange County and there were plenty of women that were that I was lifeguarding with and they were amazing. And yeah. um, and it really wasn't an uh, oh she's she's pretty good for a woman. No, many of those women were faster runners than I was. They're faster swimmers than I was. Um, it, it was more about she has her uh, talents and abilities, and they're different from mine. And um, and when we combined forces, then it, it really worked out so much better. Right. Well, it's like, you know, you made that comment about Dr. J saying uh, about, you know, we know, we need to stop talking about it, right? It, once That way it's no longer an issue um, or in that utopia. And that was one of the things we had said early on. Um, Megan Parisi, who is now on one of the board members for Pink Boots, I remember her, back, in her, back in the day we would talk about how, well, we didn't want Pink Boots to be a longevity thing. We didn't want this to be something. We wanted it to be able to go away once we were 50-50. And... As that's been slow going, um, obviously, it's it, it, whether or not it needs to go away, it needs to not just be present, but it needs to be talked about, and it needs to be discussed, and it just we we need to be taken uh, seriously. And I think that's one of the, the the focuses and goals for Pink Foods is to realize that we're not just a social group. It's not our goal. Our goal is not just to get together and chat and hang out and have beers. There's other organizations and societies out there that focus on that. We really do want to be professional and we really do want to be seen as the premier organization that breweries and, and bars and places go to to seek out women who have, you know, have gained knowledge, have been a part of this, who are trying to advance women's careers. And that's, you know, we would, that would that would be our ideal situation is that breweries are coming to us and they're, they're seeking our members because they know that we're providing them all the educational tools that will set them up with the utmost success that they need to better 
all of the breweries. I mean, you know, an educated brewer, male or female, um, even a little bit is also, is going to be a whole lot better than a non-educated person that you now have to train them all the basics. So it's always great to have somebody come into your, you know, brewery or production plant and teach them your way, of course, but if they have some sort of backbone and knowledge and um, information, it makes things a whole lot easier. And if they come to you because they have the passion and the education and they, the desire and the dream, then, you know, ultimately you have one of the most badass employees coming your way. Absolutely. And, and if you just look at, uh, let's take the BJCP styles. I mean, uh, like there's about a hundred, including all the sub styles, right? All of those represent different parts of the world, different situations, different technologies, different um, uh, ingredients that the land provided. And so therefore, just that sheer diversity. Now we have hundreds of different types of beers. And and yeah. and it, if we just had this one person, male or female, doing this one thing, and this is how it's going to be, then we'd all be drinking macro brew or or IPAs, um, and there'd be there, there'd be nothing else. We wouldn't have this uh, uh, Keller beer that I'm drinking now, or we wouldn't have Munich Dunkels. We wouldn't. Uh, there's so many things, and, and just having that diversity, it, gender really isn't necessarily part of that conversation. Just the sheer diversity and allowing. Most importantly, allowing for the space for that diversity to occur will create interesting, profound things. I think it'll be, I think what's going to be really cool is, so they're talking about the next generation coming up and they're not going to be drinkers, right? That's kind of one of the things that's been rumored, whatever. Oh, they're going to be like low, low, low ABV or non-alcoholic drinkers, whatever. But as I sit here at Stone World Beach Strong Gardens in the garden and um, and I think about how many breweries and craft breweries have opened up in the last 10 years and how massive and crazy things have gotten. Um, and there's actually a little girl that's coming by now, like their parents are bringing the children to breweries. And so what are these people are going to, they're all just going to assume that it's normal. They're mm-hmm. all going to assume that working at a brewery or being in a brewery is a normal thing. And I remember having, um, making beer with uh, Whitney Thompson and Megan Parisi and doing Project Venus. And we talked about how, you know, breweries are going to be on the corner of every location and there were going to be places for people to go that were local as opposed to having to drive for a destination spot. And, you know, when you have places like this that have their children show up, I wonder what, what it'll be for them in 10 years or whatever, what, what their thoughts will be about beer and how interesting it is to see more and more children showing up at breweries because their parents are into beer. So I think that's going to be like the biggest trip is watching these people and their kids as they grow up used to peeing around beer and like, oh, okay, well, what's their future for beer? I, I look That's forward to the cool. day when my children are old enough to uh, not not have but enjoy their first beer, and then they'll look back at their life with a father who homebrewed and had a beer podcast and wrote about beer, was kind of maniacal about beer. I look forward to that day when seeing that look on their face when they go, oh, now I get it. Well, and I, I you know, my, I have a bunch of nieces and nephews, and I, I wonder, you know, what, when as they get older, and they're like, oh yeah, my aunt's a brewer. Like, what, what, how does that resonate? Like, is that still like a cool thing? Like, <laughs> am I, am I officially cool now because of my, you know, my teenage nephew thinks I'm cool because I'm a brewer, or he just told his friends? Or could you imagine like having children as a brewer? I mean, I, I, that just blows my mind. <laughs> I, I know you kind of have rock star status. I'm definitely not. I mean, people keep saying that. And I'm like, I'm definitely not a rock star. Like, I'm still your, I'm, 
I'm a I'm a brewer, so I like to not be. You know, I, as much as I I as much as I do um, forward facing things, I am definitely a shy person who likes to hang out in the back and just kind of watch everything go on. And at the end of the day, you realize that 70% of your job is just cleaning. So <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, and typically cleaning up after men. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that sounds about on par, at least in my house. Um, what, uh, what would you like people to learn or take away from this conversation, this experience with Pink Boot Society? What would you like for people to, to really change or I don't want to change that's kind of a next question but what would you like them to take away from this experience so one of the cool things that Pink Food Society does is we do an annual collaboration brew day on March 8th to help celebrate and highlight women in the industry uh, and we've been lucky enough to partner up with Yakima Chief for the last three years to make a special hot blend um, but it's also our biggest fundraiser so we are a charity so we are we thrive off of the needs and, and the wonderful donations and uh, charity that we get from partnerships. So, you know, if you are nearby a place that's brewing for March 8th or you see a beer that says Pink Food Society, you know, and if they're donating proceeds, definitely go in and buy a pint because that pint of beer will help uh, solidify and put funds into our coffer to help us provide more scholarships because ultimately that's all we're here to do. Um, and in order to do that, we got to have the funds to do that. So um, if you're out and about March 8th, or, or not necessarily on March 8th, I apologize, but around that time, whenever they make beers for March 8th, if you see Pink Boots beer, make sure you go out and buy it because some of those proceeds are hopefully coming back to Pink Boots, especially if they're using our name. Uh, but that will help the women and that will help the future generation and the younger generation and the next generation and the current generation and the women changing their careers as they want to get into beer, help them get some educational um, capacity to help them advance their careers. So that's ultimately the thing is buy beer, uh, support it, donate. We're always looking for donations. We're always looking for product partners. You can find us at pinkfoodsociety.org. Perfect. Well, I'm going to ask you to. I'm, I'm going to ask you to repeat that last thing at the very end. But um, okay, so let, let's. Uh, we've got just a little bit of time left. Let's let's enter kind of our speed round of uh, of questions. Um, I'm I'm going to wave my magic mash paddle, and you get to be the beer queen for a day of the entire world. What are you going to change? Oh shit! What am I going to change? Uh, I'm going to change women's boots and not make them so crappy. Women's boots. Boots. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, and it sounds so, so, so stupid, but like brewers, you're in boots all day long, and like women's boots suck so bad. Really? Yeah, they're awful. Work boots for women, they're limited in size, they're limited in availability, they're limited in what you can get. They suck. That sounds like a business opportunity for some entrepreneur out there listening to this. You know. Especially with a little bit of flair, not those like boring old like brown and yellow things that people oh, usually wear. No, it's like, not those. those are awful. How about, those are like fisherman boots. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're fisherman boots. Um, uh, one, is, that, is, is that is that not too is that not too dramatic? Do I need to be more dramatic? No, like, no, I think that's perfect. I, I, in fact, I think it'd be that's a perfect opportunity for people, especially like an artist, to like you know put some like flames or some like waves all over and like do some like artful type of boots because those boots last for a while unless you get too much caustic on them but you know that's that's a that's a different thing entirely 
I'm a realist. I, I think that's kind of the way I focus is like what's currently, you know, the bane of my existence right now. And that's my, my work with your, your feet must be hurting you right now. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, if you had the opportunity to choose your very last beer and your very last meal before you depart this earth, what would they be? Is it, okay. I mean, does it have to be a brand? You want, are you speaking a brand name or just a style? Uh, you get to call the shots. Um, oh good. Um, last meal would definitely be probably, uh, a steak and mashed potatoes and a bunch of bread because, uh, I'm German and I love my, my carbs of all sorts. Um, and I guess my, I mean, my go-to beer for any place I go and, and what it is I judge them upon would be an IPA. And I... I absolutely love Stone IPA, so I'm going to go with Stone IPA. Nice. Um, okay, so with you know everything we've just talked about, you know the, your entire sum of your experience with beer, how would you answer this question? Why does good beer matter? Why does good beer matter? Because bad beer sucks. True that. Who wants to drink bad beer? I can't. I, I I'm I'm um I'm a I'm a really bad beer drinker. I'm a I'm, I'm hesitant. I lo- a lot of times I tend to go for what I like and I go for what I know is going to be good because if I have to have a full pint of something and I I get two drinks in and it's bad. Oh, I don't want any more beer then. Uh, let me ask you a little side question on this. Are you afraid of pouring beers down the drain and starting over? No. Have but you? If I have to pay for it. It sucks. But if you, uh, I mean, are you are you someone who is willing to send beers back if there are clear and obvious faults? Yes, I do. Do you have a stylish, uh, not stylish, um, a, a a graceful way of saying, yeah, this beer is not good? Can you bring me a different one? I uh, I just say there is something about this beer that I don't enjoy. Is there a way I can get another? Of something else. Simple. Simple. Um, okay, so let, let's uh, circle back to what you were talking about before. How can listeners or companies um, connect with you or Pink Boot Society to uh, get involved, get uh, become a member, or even especially become a donor? So uh, if you qualify to be, be a member, uh, 25% of your income must come from beer. You can apply uh, online at pinkfoodsociety.org. If you would like to donate to us, we have an open donation uh, platform. You can do that at pinkfoodsociety.org as well. We also sell some merch. That's another way to donate or to give back to Pink Boots. We have some swag and T-shirts and stuff that you can buy, or you can buy it for members of your brewery or your bar or whatever, or you know your daughters. I don't know. Um, but you can do that online at pinkbootsociety.org. We also have a Facebook page, we are, uh, I think it's just Pink Boots Society on, on Facebook. And then you can follow us on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram. So um, we're kind of everywhere, but, you know, the main thing for us is professional, and we need funding, and if anybody's willing to help provide scholarships, if there's uh, any any schooling out there that is doing anything that's uh, focused on brewing or um, beverage of any sort or quality of any sort, then, you know, we're all ears. We're always looking for new ways to partner and new ways to, to 
fund uh, what we're doing and opportunities for all women all over the world. And March 8th is International Women's Day, and that's the Pink Boots Collaboration Brew Day. So roughly two weeks after that, then you can go drink some Pink Boot beer? Yeah, absolutely. So shortly after, and I know some of the women have been brewing early so that they can they can tap their beer on March 8th. It being a leap year, March 8th is on a Sunday, so everybody okay. was a little tripped out this year. <laughs> uh, but you, know, you should be able to see beers in the next month or so, next two months. Maybe even three, depending on what they made. Uh, so if you see a Pink Boots beer, uh, I, I suggest get it. Buy it. Support the women that made the beer that got together that day and pour their sweat and their tears and their effort and energy into getting together and highlighting the women around them and the network and the connection. And, you know, it's all about support. And it's all about uh, bringing everybody together and we're really lucky that we get the uh, we get the opportunity to do this on March eighth. I mean this in the sense of a lot of breweries are opening their doors to uh, women of their staff to help run the brew day with the support of maybe the brewer, the head brewer of that location. So there's a lot of people who are opening their doors and allowing women to come in and be showcased that day. And I think that's really cool because I think. The more you can invite the women into the brew house, the more you can ask them the questions and tap into what they they like and they don't like. Will actually help you know marketing with what you want to do next for them and making beers that are palatable to everyone, not just you know one genre or one type of beer or you know one area that you want to focus on. I think we have we have a whole wide range, like you were saying, with BJCP and flavors that you can hit. And women are definitely still a an area and a focus that can be touched on so wonderful and uh, lastly do you have any final words of wisdom um final words of wisdom are don't wait for someone to do it for you You just gotta go out and do it for yourself because if you don't then you're gonna turn around blank and it's gonna be too late i i think we could apply that to anyone uh no gender necessary Correct. I think, it, again, no one's going to give it to you. you got to go get it yourself. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, Laura, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for sharing your experience and your kind of perspective uh, in history with this. I, I think this is something that people need to be more aware of, um, and not just for more women to be aware of, but for more men to just kind of understand that, okay, I, I think a lot of us who are not jerks are – you know, kind of get that there's there's a difference that needs to be accounted for. But, um, you know, many of us, and I'll include myself in this, we just don't know what we don't know. And so uh, thank you for sharing your perspective on it. And we're really lucky. We have a lot of men that support us. So, you know, the men aren't, it's, not, it's not the men who are the evil, you know, empire or anything like that. The men, we definitely have a lot of men that are, support us, and we're super grateful for them. And we appreciate all that they've done and a lot of the mentors that have been men for the women that are growing up in the industry. And it's, it's pretty badass. So we don't want it to think that it was a man versus a male thing. It's, we're just trying to help give the women a leg up and, you know, help build that platform for them to stand on and stand strong on. Perfect. Great. Thank you again. Thank you. Although I'm male, women's issues are very personal to me because they affect the women in my life. I suspect any of you who are listening feel the same way. It's important to remember that unless we have walked a mile in someone else's pink boots, we are better off when we listen and acknowledge that difference can be a strength. 
Join us in the next episode where we continue honoring women and explore the past, present, and future of women in brewing. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.